Ah, hello, Farrell. You like that? We're gonna put these on billboards after we open up. Saturday night. Mm, so that's it. You're a bigger thief than ever. That's it. My instinct was right. You couldn't stop being a thief any more than a weasel could stop sucking chicken blood. You are listening to the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, where we brought an analysis of stigmatized creative expression in film, art, and literature to understand the misunderstood. Your host is Miguel Rodriguez. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining once again on the Horrible Imaginings podcast, the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival right here in San Diego, California. And as we do every spring when the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival hits Hollywood, we're going to have a few more episodes that zero in on classic film, specifically in this case, the classification of films that are known as film noir. Noir is an interesting subset of classic films that is of great interest to those of you out there who listen to this show who uh, are genre film enthusiasts, because I think there are a lot of elements of noir that, as the word noir itself suggests, embraces the darker sides of human nature. I'm sure that is something that will come up in the series of podcast episodes I'm going to do with uh, my friend Will McKinley, as I'll introduce here in a second, which will spotlight a unique new class coming to an internet near you. Let's talk about that class for a second. So Turner Classic Movies, with their commercial-free and uncut presentations of classic films from a diverse set of eras and genres, has been a bastion of film education for over two decades. Almost everyone I know who loves film just leaves the TV on TCM pretty much in perpetuity. So that is going to be taken to an interesting new level since TCM has collaborated with Ball State University in order to tie their Summer of Darkness Noir programming this summer into an online film course that is not only open to the public, but also completely free of charge. I decided to enroll myself in this class, as did many of my TCM party friends, and also decided to analyze my experience with the class on the podcast in three episodes. As a teacher myself, when we're lesson planning, we usually plan a before, a during, and an after the lesson, and that's what I'm going to do with the podcast. We'll have a before session, a during session in the thick of the class, and then an after section as a sort of reflection of what we thought of the class and hopefully our hopes for um, future classes like this. Joining me today for the before section are a number of stellar guests, and I have a list of (laughs) credentials, but it's going to be much more interesting if they give me their credentials. So I think we'll start with Shannon Clute. So Shannon, who are you and uh, what are you doing here? You know, that's that's really way too tempting because I didn't know there would be this setup. But now I'm going to say former Secret Service agent. There it uh, is. And uh, no, I, I'm uh, the director of marketing and editorial for Turner Classic Movies, where I'm in charge of marketing strategy and fulfillment, as well as editorial content across platforms. So web editorials, social content, publications, etc. So that's sort of how I came to this project. And Rich, why don't you go ahead and go next? Well, I'm here today because I will actually be the person teaching the (laughs) course Into the Darkness Investigating Film Noir. Uh, My background is I have a PhD from uh, USC School of Cinematic Arts in Critical Studies, and Film Noir was always my favorite body of film, and I've been digging into it for over 20-plus years. 
and along with Shannon Clute, we've had projects that have been ongoing around film noir for about 10 years in our collaboration, starting with a podcast project called Out of the Past Investigating Film Noir that takes one film and looks at it in depth over the course of a 30 to 40 minute conversation. And then that project resulted in a book Shannon and I published back in 2011 entitled The Maltese Touch of Evil, Film Noir and Potential Criticism. So I believe that's why you have me on here today. <laughs> I think that's a right. pr pretty good reason. Should we call you Dr. Edwards from here on out? No, please don't. No, <laughs> which is more Could than fine. I couldn't take it either. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I'm glad Rich pointed to that sort of shared history. One other thing I should say that resulted in is not just uh, that he's now at Ball State and offering this class, but in many ways, I think it's fair to say that that collaboration and the book that came of it is, is one of you know one of the big reasons that I ended up at TCM. So it uh, the out of the past podcast is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and it's always tough, Miguel, when I try to give these intros, because you're right, Shannon and I are wearing a lot of different hats on this project. And currently I am at Ball State University, but I'm not technically teaching film noir there. What my role is at Ball State University is innovation and online education. And part of what so excites me about this collaboration that I'm doing this summer with Turner Classic Movies is it's bringing together the two sides of my brain the part of my brain that works with trying to create very innovative online learning experiences with my absolute uh, fandom and interest in film noir. I can relate to that because I am an educational technology resource teacher for K-12 here in San Diego. So that's uh, also right now this class is kind of colliding with my uh, my day job life as well. <laughs> Will. You yes. have uh, you and I have collaborated on podcasts in the past. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We have. I am a writer and a blogger and a classic film fan, a lifelong classic film fan. I also have an undergraduate degree in film and television from NYU Film School, but that's got nothing at all to do with this. But I feel like I want to throw that in, you know, with <laughs> like all these academic types on the line with us. But I'm a big, uh, Shannon knows I'm a big fan of Turner Classic Movies, big supporter of everything that they do. And I am a, a proud enrollee in this class. And so you and I are going to, uh, you're probably going to be my partner in crime in terms of analyzing the class and our experiences. Uh, we're going we're going back to school. I've got the spitballs ready. Uh, <laughs> I've got an apple for Rich. Uh, I hope you accept virtual apples. It's going to be fun. Excellent. All right. Well, let's go right into this. It's best to start with the conception of this concept. I can't think of a time where a major television network has paired with a university to offer a free course to the public. And obviously, you know, Rich, this this is really up your alley. Was this conceivable just a decade ago? No, I mean, we're not going to claim that we're the first network that's had a related educational experience. But to the core of your question, a decade ago, this type of course just wasn't even feasible. I mean, really, if you go back in time just a decade ago, YouTube really was just starting in 2005. And so we've really had to wait for the internet to mature to become this type of social learning community platform that enables the type of experience we're going after in this course. Part of what is so thrilling for me as an educator is 
whenever I've tried to teach online before with film noir, there's a lot of issues with trying to get the students to see the star of the course, which are the films themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and what is so luscious about this collaboration with TCM is as an educator of a nine-week course, I am going to have access to 100-plus films noir, which is just amazing. I mean, usually when I teach a film course, we watch one film a week. Yeah. And here, we're going to really be able to delve in and so the part that I think is might be of interest to the larger audience is this fascinating partnership between a major media corporation, Turner Classic Movies, and a university, Ball State University, and trying to leverage what both of these partners bring to the table to create a very open, vibrant, and powerful learning experience that, if it goes correctly, will form this temporary nine-week community that's all going to start investigating through a variety of means the phenomenon of film noir. Shen, can you talk about uh, yeah. TCM side of that equation? Yeah, you know, frankly, I think in many ways we, we have the easier job here. This is not the first time that we've done uh, Summer of Darkness. Uh, it happened the first time in 1999. And that first time around, it was a more modest festival. It was essentially the spotlight for the, the month. And so it was less than half of the scope of films that it is this time. But this was something that um, our SVP of programming, Charlie Tabish, had in the works. And a big part of my job is to figure out what is the right sort of context beyond the linear network, obviously. Uh, that's done by the studio group and the on-air group. But what is what is the right context to bring in these other media to uh, what we're doing in programming so that people who come in via web and social get a full experience and understand the programming as well as, as possible? So as soon as I saw that this was being planned, I immediately thought, well, I've got to reach out to Rich because I knew he had done a previous iteration of this course and that with a little careful planning he could sort of uh, modify what he'd done previously to really fit the the scope of this year's programming and that we then on the TCM side could work to simply engage the incredible and knowledgeable fans we already have, people like you and Will, so that we would bring sort of the passionate, knowledgeable film public to a course that was already really designed smartly for that kind of multi-platform engagement. And Shannon, if I can follow up on that, I think for the TCM viewers in the listening audience, we're very interested in the sort of, you know, behind the scenes component of the network. Can you share a little bit about with a program of this scope, 120 films, nine full 24-hour days of programming, how far in advance is something like this planned? And at what stage in that process did the educational component become part of it? Yeah, those are great questions. I mean, I don't want to speak too much for Charlie because I know that his programming methods can really depend on a series of factors. We are always working to license from the widest variety of studios. And a festival like this coming together, there's there's a lot of planning. There's a question of what's already in window. And then there's some kismet as you bring in, uh, as other things fall into place, and you're able to sort of broaden the scope and bring in, in the case of this fest, uh, some Fox titles 
some more recent neo-noir titles, things that really amplify and magnify the scope of what we could more routinely offer. So I think this is one that's really was in the works for a number of months prior to locking down the schedule. I believe it was six months. The person who worked on this primarily was actually not Charlie Tabish. It was Millie DeCurico, who also is the person responsible for our TCM Underground franchise. So uh, she has a passion for noir and was, I believe, just given the reins to really run with this fast. So there's a lot to, to give credit for there. Then in terms of figuring out what will accompany a programming initiative like this, we really have a more limited scope on the back end to retrofit some of our contextual materials to what's coming down the pike, if you will. And the earliest production schedule, generally speaking, beyond programming is the Now Playing Guide. And that is one of the publications that falls within my group. So as soon as we have the initial programming meeting that we go and we hear about upcoming programming, which is about three months prior to the start of that month, we then start to really make our plans in earnest about how to feature things in various editorial plat or, you know, different types of editorial on various platforms and what sort of special experiences we can craft with the time we have. And I think to have created a, a course like this from scratch would have been nearly impossible. But because I knew that Rich had already done a course that was fantastic and that could be modified to really fit this purpose, we were able to put together something much more robust. Okay, so I think what I want to do now is back up a little bit. I want you guys to talk about the podcast for a second. When I first heard about the class, I noticed that the class and the podcast have uh, suspiciously similar names. And I was wondering if, if the idea for this had had sprung from the podcast, but it sounds like that might not be the case. But uh, talk about uh, you know how the podcast has been going over the years and how that affects how the class might look just because you've had all this time to really well, analyze these in a really structured way. You're right, actually. Um, I think that this course is the latest iteration of a whole collaboration that had been using this metaphor of investigation to better understand noir. Rich, do you want to sort of jump back and trace the evolution of the project from our earliest days of, of arguing for an ac or a serialized academic audiobook to what you're doing now? Yeah, I think so, because... Part of what I think is sometimes difficult to convey to people who might be like, wow, TCM is offering a course. What could that possibly be like? And you can imagine that a academic course could take all sorts of different shapes and different foci. But when Shannon and I started to collaborate in 2005, when we were both faculty members at St. Mary's College in California, we really had a passion to bringing our interest in film noir out in a more public stance. We really didn't want to have a show that was heavily theorized with a lot of academic jargon that really we felt would distance the audience from the beloved films, but we really wanted to bring a certain type of critical inquiry into the public. And the project really did take life when we really both agreed that the core value of what we were attempting to do was to investigate. We weren't necessarily going to provide answers. We weren't necessarily going to do this in a sort of predetermined linear manner. And over the last 10 years, our various collaborations have always emerged out of the positive energy of our shared love of noir. And 
the podcast and the course are deeply related, and that's why they have the same title. I really feel that it's important for people who join the course to recognize that everyone who is enrolled in the course is going to be a co-investigator. I will be the lead investigator that will try to set up a framework, but ultimately the learning has to be personalized and the passion for all of the learning that has to come will come from the students and I'll be some type of uh, ringleader hoping to keep it all stitched together. And the other part that's just kind of fun is that really in all the work that Shannon and I have ever done together, and this is what makes it such a great fit, I believe, with the Turner Classic Movies brand and audience, is we are really interested in always putting the movies first. And what excites me about the course is that the course is really designed to run Monday through Thursday so that students in the course are really geared towards doing what they should be doing, which is watching these amazing films on Friday. And the course, in many ways, I'm hoping the way I'm designing it will create that type of platform that will make viewing more enjoyable and more knowledgeable for a certain type of person who's already uh, watching and interested in both these films and in what TCM has to offer. Yeah, and you know, if I could add just a quick comment to that. Rich and I are, I think, better uh, in some ways in our current jobs than we were as academics because we were much more interested in having conversations that would lead to unexpected results than we were in publishing neat articles that had very definite conclusions and typically achieved those conclusions or those outcomes through the application of a very well-defined critical approach. We instead wanted to model what was closer to great books behavior, and we were in a great books program at the time, teaching in their seminar program, and we wanted the, the discoveries to be very sort of fluid and to always be rooted in the source text. And I think, you know, Rich said that, as he said, this is about the movies themselves, and that's a hallmark of everything we've done. And when we've tried to bring people into the fold, it's not as learners who are learning the basics. It's as people who engage with the text and start to ask meaningful questions. And in that sense, the investigation metaphor always fit our examination of noir because literally it was about all of these people getting on the, the trail of these clues that they were finding in the movies, clues that were of interest to them and trying to piece together some sort of case that they found meaningful. And we thought of it as sort of a engaging mass market public intellectualism that had sort of disappeared from a lot of what we were seeing in academia. Do you envision... When people see these films, this is what I'm seeing, is they might be, you know, bringing some friends to their house or watching it with family or watching it in a group for this class. So in a way, it's it's like branching out and reaching even more people who are than those who are enrolled. I mean, do you think that might be a model that might be happening? Well, yeah, well, I mean, I, I definitely think that in its basic design, the goal is to really further public discussions around film noir, because film noir and why the festival, I think, is so important, especially in our culture at this point, is that these films are some of our best texts that we have ever authored on what it means to understand a particular part of the American experience. And I really would hope that if people 
start to really look at these films with fresh eyes. Really, even if you've seen the Maltese Falcon 10 times, I'm going to urge students the first week of the class to watch it again. But this time, take away all your preconceptions. Watch it as if you're watching it for the first time, because I really do believe that these texts will tell us something about our current you know, social, political, economic conditions, because they're all inside these amazing texts. Films are both a time capsule and a way to foresee the future, as long as we get into communities of discussion around them. Simply put, from TCM's perspective, I think we're a brand that exists to share our love of films. We are driven by a love of films, everyone who works at TCM, just as much as the people who view TCM are, are driven by their love of films. So if we can do anything from the standpoint of on-air scripts or the standpoint of festivals and activations like the TCM Classic Film Fest or the Cruise, or any of the other things we do, right down to new sorts of contextual materials we create for web or for social that gets people involved in discussing these films and appreciating these films, then we've done something right, I think. On that note, with people jumping in, what has uh, the enrollment been like so far? And, and this is something, as an educator myself, how on earth do you assess like a huge mass audience of a class? <laughs> Well, I'm sure Shannon's going to defer that one to me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Never be sure, Edwards. Never okay. Sure. Well, you, you, you can take it, Shannon. Well, the good news is, actually, the good news here is that I get to defer that to him because it's really his problem how he gets this graded. <laughs> no, uh, you know, from an enrollment standpoint, it's been really strong. We were seeing and have been seeing about a thousand people sign up each day since we launched promotion uh, about a week ago. So enrollments have been strong. They continue to grow steadily. And we're really excited about the implications of that and the way that these people can, who are in the course can engage in social platforms that are established in the topic within the message boards we've set up specifically for this course through the special hashtag Noir Summer that we've set up for the course. And, you know, we're, we're excited to see how that plays out. You're right, though, that you put your finger on two things here. One is getting people involved. The other is really keeping them involved and then uh, sort of assessing their involvement. And that's where Rich and I learn are the experts. So definitely I'll step out of the way there. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have an extremely large class. I mean, in the contemporary parlance, this will be a massive open online course that will have tens of thousands of students when it is live. That is typically what we call a college campus, not a single course. And so one of the things that I always prefer is referring to this type of experience as an open online community, because it clearly breaks through whatever previous notion we had of a classroom with four walls and an instructor standing at a lectern in the front of it because this will be a course that when it's finally all said and done, all of the students wouldn't even fit in Madison Square Garden if we could physically bring them into one location. And so, you know, we're not, we're talking about a massively distributed group of learners. The course is open globally. We're teaching it on a platform created by instructor called Canvas and historically 40% of the learners in a Canvas course come from outside of the United States because they're interested in online learning generally and like taking courses of this kind. And you are correct. There, there's clearly an assessment issue at the heart of this, especially if you recognize that this course is teaching a humanities subject where if we were to do this in a conventional method, 
I would ideally want 25,000 papers written on people's favorite films noir, but um, unless I was going to have a due date of 2080 to return all those with my instructor <laughs> sign, I just don't think I can already imagine my retirement being, wow, finally got that last one graded. Um, <laughs> You know, so we can't, we can't do that. And I've done research. Um, I've been involved with online experiments for close to 14 years now. And there are certain things that I just don't think work as well. So in terms of creating a, an experience in this class, I really have focused on, you know, having some straightforward assessments, in this case, multiple choice quizzes and exams, which can be machine graded. But I hope that I'm writing them from a fairly interesting standpoint that will allow people to feel that it's a genuine test of what they've been learning each week. But even more than that, the part that I'd like to just express is that when I taught this course back in 2013, and it was also a massive open online course, but without the TCM connection, most of the learning happened in interesting social media spaces such as Twitter. Mm -hmm. And there's no real way to assess that, except that there are ways of a, a course like this, in its most ideal form, creates relationships, relationships between individuals in the movies and relationships between different individuals. And while I might not be able to put a quantitative metric on it, I believe that at the end of these nine week experience, most of the people who will keep with the entire experience will recognize that their knowledge and their ability to appreciate film noir has elevated to a different level. And, you know, there'll be some quizzes that will give us some confirmation of that thesis. But at the end of the day, something like this has a bit of a feel of, I would argue, like a convention almost. Like, you know, Shannon and I are conducting almost like a film noir convention with just some moments where people can check in, learn about what a lot of very smart people have previously said about film noir, learn about some of the major issues that have been a part of how we have understood and appreciated these films for the last 70 years. And that to me has a value in and of itself, even if it can't be fully assessed, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes well, sense. And one thing that fascinated me about the, uh, you know, and I, I wrote about this uh, a week ago and that article has gotten a huge number of hits. So there's obviously a huge interest in this, but one thing that fascinated me was that you are, or Ball State is offering a certificate of completion. Yes. So I'm, I'm curious if that certificate has any sort of academic value or is it just bragging rights? And along the lines of the sort of monitoring of participants' activity, you know, will there be specific metrics that people need to fulfill in order to get that certificate? Well, yes. So to answer your question in the order you laid it out, it is called a certificate of completion for a very specific purpose. This is not an accredited Ball State course that would have involved having to enroll everyone into Ball State University and pay tuition dollars to get actual college credit for that. And this is actually a free learning experience. So the certificate of completion is evidence that you have fulfilled all the requirements of the course. And to choose your words, it would be bragging rights. Um, the way that I would probably refer to it is it would be evidence that you did participate fully for nine entire weeks and you have 
this type of learning experience now under your belt. In order to make it fair that the certificate is something that one earns rather than something one is just bestowed for you know, no apparent criteria, there are five major content modules over the nine weeks. Each of those content modules ends in a quiz that has to be passed at 70% or better. And then there's also a final exam. So the grades of the five quizzes plus the final exam will be 100% of your grade, and you're going to have to average 70% across all six instruments in order to get the certificate. If yeah. I could jump in quickly, I would just stress that one of the challenges for Rich was to figure out the metrics of completion and satisfactory completion. The good news from TCM's standpoint is that MOOCs are, you know, massive open online courses, generally speaking, are a an environment that encourages much more casual participation than completion. Why I say that's positive is because anybody who simply loves movies is encouraged to dip a toe in the waters here. So we recognize that from Ball State's standpoint, there has to be some measure of rigor that gives a satisfactory result and a, a certificate of completion. But from our standpoint, what we want to see is lots of people dipping a toe in the waters, learning something about noir, leaving with an appreciation of some sort that they didn't have previously, speaking with other classic movie fans in these different social environments to just generally foster the love of movies and noir specifically. So the good news is this course is a great option for those who really want to dive in and learn a lot, but also for those who want to sit back, sample some great course videos, you know, see a good movie or two and get a better appreciation for it and just sort of dip a toe in the waters. Right. And I'm designing it that way so that it is both types of courses. So for those who are interested in going after the certificate in week one, I lay out exactly what steps have to be completed. But for what we're calling the more casual adopter or the flexible learner, there are gonna be alternative pathways that aren't going to be as time consuming that we still hope people participate in because Shannon's correct. Even a little bit of engagement in the course will go a long way. I'm going to break up some of the academic talk a little bit and yeah, um, and let's talk a little bit about noir itself. We've uh, Rich, I think you you already brought up some interesting points about noir serving as a as a telescope to, you know, what the American experience in in, in a way, but there's a lot that it can offer. So I I think uh let's start with Shannon, I think. To get your input about film noir as a genre or as a classification of film era. Uh, what do you think that it has to offer that not only drives its continued popularity, it's still, for a classic film era, it's still a very populist era, but what also makes it the focus of a class this unique? That's a, that's a good question. I think I'll just go ahead and give a, an answer that is, uh, that is no more succinct or uh, <laughs> any less bombastic and enormous than Rich's. Let's go with this. <laughs> I think that along with jazz, noir may be one of America's two greatest cultural contributions to the world. And here's why I say that. 
I think that uh, noir and jazz have a great deal in common, as, as ironic as this may seem, in terms of their development, their iteration, and the way they then spread. And here's why. Both were really born at the crossroads of a number of influences, literary influences, filmic influences, historic influences, and it's important to note both domestic and foreign influences. But they really found their full form and their rhythm and their voice once they found the perfect mix here in the U.S. And that's always, to some extent, a matter of luck. To some extent, it's the mix of cultural geniuses that are working in any powerful industry. And I think what's so interesting about noir, like jazz, is that it actually works on a pretty limited number of riffs. It's got a few character types that populate this world. It's got a few story types that tend to get recycled over and over. But what it proves is that if the music is just right, if you mix these factors just right, working through those constraints is actually more powerful than having absolute freedom, which is actually, you know, my take on the studio system, too. I will always champion studio system filmmaking over independent production, because I think that working under certain constraints produces additional genius. One of the great geniuses that that kind of constraint produces is rhythm that can never be produced by people who don't work together constantly. And here I think noir had a real advantage because it not only had the rhythm of studio era production, but it had the source material of hard-boiled literature. And it, those two combine along then with the artistic influences of these immigrant directors who fled, you know, the rise of Nazism and the outbreak of World War II and found themselves in Hollywood to create something that was quick, that was powerful, that would riff on similar themes powerfully over and over, but then had this incredible stylistic veneer that that matched the the conceptual underpinnings so that it wasn't just a style it was a style and a substance and i think that's why noir is so powerful in ways that a lot of film genres aren't and i do consider it a genre because it didn't translate to my mind successfully to say noir western or noir melodrama uh and some of the other sort of genres that people talk about there was kind of a core fundamental story type and it was told in a, a specific rhythmic sort of way to make it a noir. And just because Shannon was mentioning that I probably am predisposed towards going towards the bombastic, I'll try to go <laughs> with the slightly uh, simpler take on it. No, man, you got to one up me. We're always better when you one up me. No, well, I'm going to one up you by going down and stepping down a full note. But the part that I love about film noir is it would, you know, film was 40 years old. I mean, really, from the first time we had a moving image in 1895 to 1941 is just four decades. The reason why film noir is so important to me is, in my estimation of cinematic history, this was the first time the full mature power of cinematic storytelling really reared its head. When you watch these films, these can only be films. These are no longer just the amalgamation of sources. And like Shannon's jazz analogy, what is so amazing about the combination of these films is that they are played flawlessly, but they are played in only one key. These are truly a deep cinematic key that only exists in these films. And that's why they're still so powerful. You really have 
a system in Hollywood that's pre-noir and post-noir, because after these films were demonstrated that showed the full range, power of cinematic storytelling, Hollywood itself was never the same. Yeah, and it's always seemed to me that you know, as much as the films of the noir era are of their time in terms of music and clothing and vernacular, the themes are more timeless. They don't the the films themselves and the stories themselves don't feel as stuck or in their time as say Rebel Without a Cause is a little bit a film of its time. No, it is timeless because these are films of the human condition. And when you start to epicenter a cinematic style and genre around fate and doom, you're doing exactly what Greek playwrights were doing 2,000 years earlier. These films will always be timeless because they connect to a part of our souls that frequently or we are too scared to look at. And part of what is so amazing is people who are willing to go into these shadowy worlds will find out so much in them about what it means to be human. And that, that's where I get the timelessness of noir. Richard, why don't, I'm going to have you keep going in terms of films and The Summer of Darkness on TCM. How have you decided to structure the syllabus? I know, of course, this follows and is, in, is concurrent with The Summer of Darkness programming of noir on, on Turner Classic Movies. But did you have input on that programming at all? Was it difficult to fit or create a chronology of your class with that programming? How did that all work? Yeah, no, the, the, the schedule of films was presented to me by TCM. And in typical fashion, no educator could ask for a better curated list. Each Friday is put together so exquisitely, I have no problems teaching from it. it, it it's really uh, magnificent. The early part of the first Fridays really start a chronological journey. And you can watch, if I, I, and I really urge people to do this, start watching on June 5th, June 12th, June 19th, and you will actually see noir evolve in front of your very eyes because we start in the 30s and we get slowly into the post-war period. Part of what is so exciting just about the summer of darkness is that it is very rare for the, uh, you know, the fan of film noir to be able to watch these films literally in the order that the first audiences saw them. And it is such a gift. Like I look at the films of June 12th, for example, and you can really see all of the major films made during World War II as a single block. And that's before we really fundamentally have a sense that noir is even happening in Hollywood. And to be able to watch them one after the other will allow individuals to really see how each of these studios, each of these directors, each of these screenwriters, cinematographers, editors, etc., were all starting to tap into this same vein of interest that we are now calling film noir, but to see it before really even the craftspeople themselves understood what was going on is just a delightful treat. I structured the course that each of the uh, subject matters is going to help elucidate core ideas that will help each block of film each Friday have a different resonance. But clearly, in something that's as messy as analyzing 120 films, I'm also encouraging people to kind of you know go off script um, and just watch these films first and foremost with fresh eyes, and then secondarily 
try to connect it back to some of the major debates and ideas that have percolated around these films for the last seven decades. We've talked about the structure being um, Monday, roughly Monday through Thursday, coursework, Friday, you know, everybody calls in sick at work and watches 24 hours of movies back to back. But can you talk a little bit about the elements of the class? I've, I've read things about uh, video lessons. I've heard mention of Google Hangouts providing an opportunity for interaction both with you and with our fellow students. So can you talk for a minute about how those components will work? Yeah, certainly. This is intended to be a self-paced course so that between Monday through Thursday, you have a lot of flexibility on how and when you engage with the course. The materials will all be available in the Canvas platform, and then individuals can pick and choose what times. And I've set it up so that it shouldn't take more than one to two hours a week to do the core work of the course. What that entails is you'll watch a video lecture that my team at Ball State helped make with me. And to just keep a few secrets to myself, I don't want to reveal the full extent of those videos just yet. Just trust me when I say they're they're very beautifully made. I'm very proud of what my team was able to put together, but I still want that to be a bit of a surprise for people who come into the course, but they're very professionally produced video lectures with an added twist, and they're all about 20 minutes long to set up the major topic of the week. Then I delve into a series of conversations that I've written up as basically HTML pages. Think of it almost like a blog that extends the ideas that are in the video lecture and leads to open questions that I hope people then go discuss on Twitter using the hashtag Noir Summer or go over to the TCM Summer of Darkness uh, message board and discuss it in a more threaded discussion board manner. And then there's also going to be a weekly viewing guide that I wrote that helps orient people because this is a lot of films to take in. So I wanted to give a little bit of a setup on how I understand the organization of these films. And that might be slightly different than TCM's uh, arrangement, but I wanted to give a little bit more like blurbs about each of these films that people who haven't seen some of these titles would have some sort of entrance or excitement about seeing it. And then I'm also introducing a feature in my course called The Daily Dose of Darkness, where I'm going to have a five-minute learning moment Monday through Thursday so that if, even if other people can't commit to the entire course, I hope they sign up for the Daily Dose of Darkness, and I will send everyone each day just a five-minute uh, meditation on noir to just really create the learning habit over the nine weeks. So on one level, this course, if you don't decide to do all the quizzes and all the discussion board stuff, you know, you could probably do the entire course each week in 20 minutes. And that, that daily dose of darkness gets delivered via email. Well, it can be. It's a, it's a setup feature in Canvas. Uh, okay. I'm leaving it up to each individual. It will be delivered to Canvas each day, but students can opt in to have it delivered to any email address they want daily. But that's an opt-in. So one other thing that I would just add to that that I think is important, there's, there's one additional tool that will be used in conjunction with the video viewing that is something that Rich and, and Ball State, I think, should be very proud of. And Chris Turvey, who's one of his uh, lead programmers, did a brilliant job in the actual development of this. 
And it's a, it's a tool called Otto, O-T-T-O. And it's an online tool for annotating or commenting upon video. So a video annotation tool is something that academia has been chasing a good you know, application for this for a while. But it, it really, in many ways, the inspiration for this tool started with conversations Rich and I were having way back at St. Mary's when Oftentimes, as we talked about the podcasts we were doing or the conversations we were having in class, we were trying to find ways to get learners to be more willing to interact with the source text, be those film texts or literary texts, and leave a, a trail of clues, if you would, for other students to investigate and to follow. It was a really democratic impulse, I think, behind this tool that Rich and, and Ball State should be proud of because the idea was like Wikipedia, why don't we crowdsource criticism? Why don't we make it a democratic process where we open it up to everyone to sort of decide what these film moments mean and leave a record of that instead of supposing that film criticism and, and film theory are the purview of critics and, uh, and you know, professional writers and academics. And so this tool is, it, Rich can speak more to the actual way that it works, that it pops up an annotation field, but it allows you to connect your comments to, to an exact moment in the film. And I think that just the impulse behind that is one of the most interesting parts of this course because it was the tool that I think showed why Rich wanted to develop a course like this in the first place, why he and I had worked on these podcasts in the first place, because we wanted film, you know, substantive film discussion to be for everyone. Right. And, and just to jump on what Shannon's saying, just really quick, if I'm going to bring together tens of thousands of people, we should create some type of knowledge archive. This is not just a one way street. There are going to be so many knowledgeable students in this course. I'm speaking to two of them right now in Miguel and Will that we should be leaving behind a trace of what we know. And so the goal behind Otto, which is just an open text tool for open online video, is for people to leave those marks, leave their observations about the films actually on the films themselves. And we're only going to do a couple of films with this full annotation, but when it's done, you'd be able to watch the film and turn the annotations on or off. But if you kept the annotations on, you would have a running record of how many, many people viewed this film and what they thought were important insights or moments in the film. And I should note, from TCM's perspective, I should note that uh, these are public domain films. This is not uh, material that we were able to provide. Uh, we obviously don't have that ability, but with public domain films that are existing in online locations for playing and for streaming, this tool is a plug-in that then works with those so that those rights issues are sidestepped and people can really interact in a substantive way around film in a, a very, I guess you would say, a community way. Will the same kind of archiving aspect uh, apply to the videos you've made or the online discussions and the Google Hangouts and that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, it's a great point. One of the reasons we're doing something that very few courses of this type have ever attempted, I'm actually having students leave their discussions at a public site, tcm.com, not at Canvas. Because if we had all the discussions at Canvas when the course wraps on August 4th, all those discussions are locked away when the course is locked away. Mm. Instead, I'm going to have a redirect link over to the moderated TCM message board so that the conversations that are spurred on by this course that's uh, being produced 
uh, will be left behind at TCM for other people to read well after the course is gone. Um, when I use Google Hangouts to do similar types of reach outs to the people enrolled in the course, it's going to be just like the Skype conversation we're having here. I want to use just Google Hangouts and Google Hangouts on air to um, have a present voice in the course so that not everything's pre-recorded. And it's just a really simple way for me to push out uh, my voice when the course is happening and all that will be just archived on an open Google Plus page. So that would also be accessible after the course is wrapped as well. What are some of the films you're most looking forward to discussing? And as a teacher, how often are you surprised by insights of your students? <laughs> okay, I'm assuming that one's coming to me. Um, well, yeah, and then but the other one can go to everybody. <laughs> yeah, so so I love teaching courses like this because when you actually open a course to anyone to enroll, it is so amazing how many unique learners you meet out there, and they run the whole spectrum from people who signed up for the course because they know nothing about noir to people who are world-class experts in this idea. And I love both sides of the coin. I love sharing my passion and interest and knowledge on noir to get people into the tent. And I also love shop talking with people who have a lot of the same background and interest that I already have. And they're just different conversations. But there's no doubt that part of the joy for myself, and I think this is true of anyone enrolled in the course, especially on the Twitter stream and at the message boards, you will be so pleasantly surprised at how you are going to find relationships you never expected in this class. Because when you bring people together with such a marvelous loving object, such as film noir, you're just, you already have that built-in connection with another person you might not know yet, but after three or four tweets or three or four discussion board follows, you'll start to learn something about these people. And it's very powerful. In terms of films, I'm going to kind of avoid answering that to this extent. I've never been any good at that. It's the same one that every time I tell people I have a degree in film, everyone's like, oh, well, what's your favorite film? And I don't have a favorite film. Um, I do have favorite filmmakers such as Orson Welles, but I don't have like favorite films. And I feel the same way about the summer of darkness schedule. I have the honor of, you know, this is a field of my expertise to have seen almost all of these films already. There's a few I haven't seen that I'm looking forward to, but ultimately what is amazing to me about this is just every Friday getting my noir on and just being able to really soak in just the magnitude of this festival. If I had to just say like what my favorite type of films are, and it's going to be obvious my first lecture that this is true. I'm a particular fan of the heist film. I love heist films. Asphalt Jungle is absolutely one of my favorites. I never get tired of watching it. Kansas City Confidential, Armored Car Robbery. I just, there's something about the heist film in particular that connects to me. So, you know, I definitely uh, will have all those either viewing them in real time or set up on my DVR because I can't wait to see those again. I think I'm going to color the question a little bit here by saying it doesn't have to be your favorite, but it yeah. might be one that is underappreciated or one that is not as talked about as others for okay. Shannon or, or Will, if anyone wants to jump in. I'll always throw in Gun Crazy. I mean, Gun Crazy is the movie that 
you know, whenever people sort of question old movies and the relevance of of old movies, you know, I love to direct them to a movie like Gun Crazy because inevitably they'll watch it and they'll be like, wow, this completely alters my view of what an old movie what I think an old movie looks or feels like. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic choice, and I couldn't agree more. I think without Gun Crazy and Refi-Fi, you don't have the French New Wave, frankly. I think that you see films like that that are so ahead of their time and so sort of groundbreaking. Another one which is not part of the fest, but that is like that for me is The Killing, the Kubrick film as well. But from my point of view, again, I, it would be really hard for me to point to individual films. If, as a film professor, Rich gets asked that question a lot, you can imagine how much I get asked that question working <laughs> at TCM. And it's kind of like naming your favorite children, right? Like, you, you know, you might actually secretly have one, but you're probably publicly not going to say it. What I think I really am excited about with this festival is if you look at the lineup, it goes from some of the earliest and clearest precursors to noir, things like M and early German expressionism, all the way up to great experiments in neo-noir and kind of throwback neo-noir like L.A. Confidential. So I'm, I'm excited about the scope of it. I'm also excited that within the central part of the lineup uh, in the middle weeks, you have films from pretty much all the major studios and several of the minors, which I think is fun. You've got a glamorous film like Nightmare Alley with Tyrone Power next to, or not literally next to, but in the same lineup as Detour, mm. which was, of course, a very low-budget picture that featured much smaller stars, but to my mind is one of the great films noir. So, you know, I'm excited about the scope of the fest, and it's got a little of everything. To just throw, like, one other thing in, the other part that I love about this fest is how many films are not really yet that popular on, say, DVD box sets and stuff. So like one of the great joys of the festival is a film like Johnny Eager, which, you know, you just you're not going to get it on Netflix. You're not going to be able to rent it. But then you watch it here and you just realize it's part of this important conversation of what's happening in 42 in Hollywood. And then if I had to just do one other shout out, I am a person who loves the more experimental films noir. So I'm always pushing people who haven't seen a lot of films noir to check out films like Our Passage with Humphrey Bogart or Lady in the Lake because they're experiments in first person point of view. And if you haven't seen a film like that before, it's just amazing just how experimental and innovative noir was at its core. Yeah, I think that should give people some films to look out for and to really anticipate, because I think hearing some titles is always a, a nice enticement for people. Well, OK, if we're going to play that game, I'm going to admit my favorite child. No, <laughs> there, there are a couple of films in the fest that I really do love. Uh, I just have to admit that if I were stuck on a desert island, one of the films noir that I would take with me and have to watch until the end of the end of time is The Killers. <laughs> and the reason I love this film so much is it, I think, is one of the best illustrations of one of the most defining characteristics of noir, which is a lot of films noir or their narratives hang in the balance between the moment of a fateful decision and the moment of resolution when the protagonist pays the consequences for that that fateful decision. And as a result, many times these are told in flashback. And I think The Killers has one of the greatest flashback narratives I've ever seen. Flashbacks within flashbacks. It's something that Tarantino would have been absolutely proud of in terms of its, its narrative design. 
And it's just superb on every front. The cinematography is great. The cast is phenomenal. The script is top notch. That's just one that never fails to please me. Same with Nightmare Alley, to be honest. And I'm so glad that that ended up being part of the festival. One of the great concluding lines of any film, I'll say no more. But it's, it's, it's a great lineup. And those are a couple that I would really hope people would see. But of course, see all of them. do you think this could happen again in the future perhaps with uh, other film eras or other types of films well you know uh, this is an interesting one that's probably mostly a question for TCM Mm -hmm. it's hard to say we would we're really going to be interested in seeing how this experiment turns out who's involved what the reaction is there are no formal plans for a further iteration that I can say. And part of it is it goes back to what we talked about previously about the interim that we typically have between when programming is locked down and when we actually are, are live with a festival and time often wouldn't allow, I think for the development of a full fledged course like this, it was just opportunistic here, knowing that rich had developed something that could be adapted so easily and so well to the festival we had assembled and Charlie's group had put together. But I can tell you from my perspective in my role, I'm always looking for opportunities to curate editorial content in some way that really excites and engages people, whatever that might be. And if there is some other iteration of that could that could be course like, I think it's something that I would love to pursue. And I, you know, with Rich, I always like exploring new ideas. I have to admit that I'm on the phone with this guy almost every single morning on my way to work. And we're always just kicking ideas around. And it's surprising how many times they result in some sort of collaboration, no matter where we are in our careers. So I'll, I'll keep kicking ideas around with Rich. I'd love for there to be other opportunities like this if people enjoy it, but uh, nothing on the books right now. And just to throw one other wrinkle out there, which is just like one of those weird things you don't think about in terms of film noir, but film noir, as opposed to today's like, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe, it wasn't a film form that had a lot of sequels. I mean, there's really almost no famous sequels in film noir because these tales were told once and told correctly and that's it there's nowhere to go at the end of detour uh you know <laughs> that that foot of fate stuck itself out and movie's over and what's fun about your question is yes i i just believe that experiments like this are meant to be embarked upon and who knows where this will lead in the future but it's just always exciting in the way that like get standing on a film set the first day of a new film just right before the camera rolls, you know that, you know, you're doing something. And the fun part about a course like this is putting it out there and seeing what happens and who knows where it'll go in the future. But we at least know for nine glorious weeks this summer, it will exist. Beautiful thing. So I think Rich and Shannon, uh, thank you for joining us. Can you just tell people where they can find your online work, like the podcast, blogs and that kind of thing? Sure. Do you want to take that, Shannon, or you want me to do it? Sure. I think the best repository of our work is noircast.net, N-O-I-R-C-A-S-T.net. And there you'll find the podcast series we did in the past, which included Out of the Past, Investigating Film Noir, Behind the Black Mask, Mystery Writers Revealed, which was an author interview show, and Yaddocast, which was actually a series we were commissioned to do for Yaddo, the great artists retreat and cultural institution in upstate New York, on the anniversary of their, or actually the occasion of their first 
big public presentation of Yaddo's history at the New York Public Library. So that's one place you can easily find all our podcast work. And then some of my writing has appeared in various places online, including I've had a few entries on the Morlocks blog at TCM. And so that's probably these, those are the easiest ways to find me. Yes. And if you haven't had enough of our voices yet, you could always pick up our book anywhere they sell books. It's also available on Kindle and Google Play, Maltese Touch of Evil, Film Noir and Potential Criticism, which is part of the way Shannon and I investigated Film Noir. And I'll have links to all of those on the show notes online at HIFilmFest.com. Thank you guys so much. This has been so I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Having you and Will in the course is really exciting for us because there are those people that have written about TCM and things we've done in the past who are so engaged and so knowledgeable that knowing you're in a course like this, just I know it's going to bring the level up. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us about the course. And I can't wait to heckle Rich from the back of the uh, the class just <laughs> like you. This is the first time I haven't actually had to teach with him. So this will be fun for me, too. Yeah. Right. And well, if you're going to give me that apple, if it's going to be a true noir apple, it better have a worm in it. <laughs> or cyanide. Yeah. <laughs> Don't actually eat it. Yeah. I won't. But thank you for uh, talking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Okay, so, Mr. Will McKinley, do you have any thoughts about the conversation we just had? I always have thoughts, Miguel. I have many, many thoughts. And my overall feeling about this is that if you enjoy TCM, this initiative deserves your support. Even if you're not necessarily, you know, sort of up for the... You know, the idea of doing whatever, uh, what do you say, like one to two hours per week of work. I would encourage everybody who listens to this podcast, everybody who's involved with, you know, the TCM party hashtag, everybody who's a fan of TCM to enroll in this course and participate at least to some extent. At least and watch I'm, some of the films. Yeah. Well, I mean, watch some of the films is a given. Yeah. but. They need to see participation metrics. And as both Shannon and Rich pointed out, you can participate to the extent that you are interested in participating. Inevitably, with anything in a fan community, there's always going to be a percentage of people that are like, rah, rah, and then a percentage of people who are like, oh, yeah, who are going to manage to find somehow the the dirty lining in the beautiful white cumulus cloud. And, you know, I would say that if you love TCM, you have to participate in this to some extent, because even if you're not necessarily a huge noir fan, a home run on this means a lot of other things that we could get. And I I love noir. I enjoy noir. I don't consider myself an expert in it whatsoever. But if this course is a huge hit and a year from now they decide to do it with pre-code movies, I will have a heart attack. I mean, I will be so excited and, you know, I will literally call in sick every day that they air those movies. There's a huge potential here for the extension of TCM as more than just a television network. And, you know, it's I mean, it's already happening to some extent with the film festival and the cruise and 
They're talking about other initiatives now that are going to further extend the TCM brand into other experiences and other parts of your life. I don't know any old movie weirdo who would not appreciate that. You know, even if every single iteration, if every single brand extension doesn't necessarily grab you, one of them is gonna. But the only way you're going to get that is by participating and showing up and supporting this. As I said before, Miguel, when we talked at the TCM Film Festival, you know, TCM is a corporate entity. It's a for-profit corporate entity, but they function in a way that is unlike just about any other television network that's ever existed. And that's why I support them with the things that I tweet and what I blog about and write about and talk about online. So that's the big picture. That's the overall support this because it's going to be good for all of us. Yeah, I agree 100%. That That is kind of why I had to ask the question about, you know, do you see something like this happening again? And obviously they couldn't really answer that, but... I just want to plant the seed that seeing something like this, which is so unique and and so beyond the scope of what a television network actually usually does, is exciting. And it's also, it encourages looking and analyzing at these films in a more um, sophisticated way. And I really would love to see... (laughs) see this extended and and, and I mean just just talking your language what if they did it with classic horror what if they did it with you know universal monster movies what if they did it with I mean they could do it there's a literally an endless list of genres that they could do something like this with I agree yeah and I I'm such a film nerd that I, I would participate in any of them, you know, classic musicals, yeah. the pre-code that you talked about. I, I would love that. The, the shift in the 60s and 70s, mostly the 60s, the, the zeitgeist shift from 1960 to 1969 is really interesting. You know, I'd love to see them do something like that. Right. And and let me add something here that this may go a little bit off the, the message reservation, but we are at a turning point in TV history, in media history, and potentially in TCM history. At some point in the not-too-distant future, TCM will probably exist as a standalone subscription video-on-demand service that people can subscribe to without a cable or satellite subscription. We've all been praying for it. (laughs) Yes. And once that happens, TCM is to some extent freed from the content restrictions that exist as a basic cable network. There are some contemporary noir films in this series, but with the newer ones, they're typically on late at night because they often have content that TCM chooses not to air during the day or in prime time. Yeah, because they don't cut anything. Because they don't cut anything. But when TCM becomes something that is accessible in a non-cable or satellite environment, that changes those parameters a little bit. The idea of a course like this or of genre-based courses can extend even further than what you could conceivably do on TV right now. I mean, I don't want to go like too big picture and too pie in the sky, but (laughs) the playing field is so wide open. And that's why I say that get in on the ground floor here, support this. And it's going to be good for all of us. Well, the pie in the sky and encouraging support 
is all appropriate for a before podcast where we are anticipating starting the class. The class hasn't begun yet. And that's because we want a huge movement behind this at the beginning. And, right. uh, and hopefully we can foster the determination to get through the course to the end. Shannon said something, I think it was Shannon, who said something interesting about access and about wanting to create a welcoming environment for people who are, you know, noir aficionados or people maybe who have never seen a film noir before. So along those lines, you will get a huge disparity in the people who are participating in this. And the only... That's kind of exciting, too. Well, it is exciting, but the only analogy that, that you know, I can draw for this, and it's a little bit of a cautionary one, is two years ago, TCM did a series based on the story of film, the 15-part documentary series from Mark Cousins, the Irish film critic. I remember, yeah. There was a lot of enthusiasm for that, but then there was also a lot of, or at least an amount of, you know, negativity because people either weren't on board with the sort of Mark Cousins approach or with the educational approach. The didactic element of it. Right. And, you know, you occasionally would have uninformed people on social media making comments. And it's hard sometimes to rectify the scholarly and the uninformed. But I think that's one of the truly great things about TCM is that it creates a welcoming environment for film fans of all ages and all experience levels. So if you have a situation, like I've seen this with TCM Party, where someone gets on and says something uninformed about whatever, Casablanca, you know, well, instead of mocking that, be joyful about that because we got a new person on our team. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. we got... There's so much, there's the tendency when you have highly specific knowledge to occasionally be exclusive or exclusionary. And I, that just with a niche interest like this, that all of us are invested in propagating, I think that serves nobody. You're right. I mean, it's my least favorite thing about fandom in general, whether it's classic film or whatever, comic books or anything, is that element of almost bullying or or trivia hounds or starting sentences with actually it's this, you know, or right. forgot or, to mention that. Or um, dot, dot, dot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that very common. My, my least favorite online you know social media phrase is um dot 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 hey stupid i know more than you well great you know more than you you know i know more than some people about some things and i would love for there to be more people who know about those things as well exactly yeah and it's not (laughs) it's just so funny to me that the the bullying of fandom in that case because it doesn't allude to any kind of specialness on your part it's just you just simply watched more things maybe right or you're or you're older or you were exposed to it at a younger age or whatever there's so many so many variables you know no exactly i whenever i talk to someone who hasn't seen uh, a film or read a book then i get excited because when you can share and i think this is kind of your point too when you can share the love of say casablanca your your example and bring it to someone who hadn't seen it before, it's like you're seeing it again for the first time through their eyes. And you feel totally. that original joy, joy again. And I mean, I, I learn things about movies that I've seen a million times, even just on Twitter. I learn things because of what 
a fresh eye sees that I have long since stopped looking for. That's exactly right. And I would say, separate from the course, I think it was uh, Rich who made this point that they're showing something like 120 films over nine 24-hour periods, nine Fridays. Obviously, nobody is going to watch all of those in a linear fashion, but a lot of these movies are not easy to find mm-hmm. anywhere else. Now, those of us that have access to the Watch TCM streaming app will have seven days after the film airs to catch up, but I would seriously recommend that everybody who has an interest in film noir clear off your DVR and record these things because you may be seeing them for the in some cases the first time on TCM potentially in some cases the only time but certainly the only time where they're all going to be available in such a tight time frame and you'll see them in context and right. at a time when they'll be discussed specifically so yeah it's a rare opportunity so you know get one of those like you can get the gigantic TiVo with like a trillion hours of recording <laughs> space you know just record all this stuff get keep it on your DVR forever and then when they're running you know whatever Finian's Rainbow for the 800th time you can watch one of these totally obscure noirs you can and probably see two or three noirs in the time that shows <laughs> Exactly. And also mad props to TCM A for opening this course up to non-subscribers. What other cable channel would be like, hey, people who don't pay us, come on in. Yeah, that's just amazing. Nobody. And also the fact that this course is available for people internationally and that they're curating a collection of public domain films that are no longer controlled by copyright holders that's going out of their way in a pretty substantial fashion in a way that's not going to bring any quantifiable money or assets to a for-profit brand and that's huge that that's That's a hugely laudable concept. It's clear that the motivation here is sincerely about keeping the study of film alive, keeping these films alive for future generations. It really is. And, you know, Jennifer Dorian, who is the new general manager of Turner Classic Movies, who we met at the TCM Classic Film Festival, I think one of her missions, and she said this in the press conference at the TCM Film Festival is building these on-ramps for new viewers. And one of the ways they're doing it is with the the TCM Movie Camp franchise that's beginning uh, in June, every Sunday night in the slot that used to belong to TCM Essentials Junior. Creating on-ramps for people who either are adults who are not necessarily classic film fans or for young viewers. And honestly, for younger viewers... Noir is a great on-ramp to classic film because there's content, as we said with, with Gun Crazy, there's content that is surprising in its frankness, in its darkness. I can see like a teen viewer digging film noir and becoming a classic film fan because of a series like this. Well, yeah, and, and I agree. And, and it would be great to talk about how noir had entered the, the public consciousness of younger viewers. Historically, uh, Edward G. Robinson as a gangster would end up in Looney Tunes and things like that. Right. It was such a cultural saturation 
with this image. I would love to watch a noir film with a younger viewer and pair it up with that Looney Tunes episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is just there's so many great things that can come from this. And, you know, as we said, the you know, the more that we support what TCM does, the more likely they are to give us these gifts, you know, and that's what they are. They're gifts for classic film fans. That's what it feels like, obviously, uh, as you said, free of charge, even to people who are not subscribers to a cable package. And all you have to give is time. And it's time that's going to be highly enriching, in my opinion. I think to wrap up, I want to just ask you for your own personal take on on what you plan to take away from this class at the beginning. And, And we'll see if that changes over time. But what are you planning to take away at this point? Well, you know, Shannon, or or, uh, I think it was Shannon, mentioned the social interactions and how relationships will form because of participation in this. And because I have formed so many friendships just from using the TCM party hashtag Mm. on Twitter, I really have to back that up because, you know, for a lot of us, when we have interest in obscure things or niche content or programming or movies or TV shows, it can be a lonely thing because everybody, you know, wants to talk about whatever is the hot thing, right? And you want to talk about that crazy, whatever, pre-code movie from 1933. And it can be lonely to love something that is unusual. And Something like this gives you an opportunity to interact. So I would say to you know people not don't just participate, but interact and tweet and go on the message board and and, and whatever, because not necessarily just as a way to pay homage to TCM and what they're doing here, but because there's a very good chance that you may meet people who share your unique, wacky, individual interests in strange, off-the-beaten-path things. And God, when you find those people in life, it's it's invigorating. Yeah, it's it's a bit cliched or, or maybe even che- cheesy to say this, but there is some uh, spiritual fulfillment that comes from that. It, it really is. And it, it can mean so much to people. And that's why. Yeah, I mean, is it good for the TCM brand to create new social media activations? Of course it is. But they're not a charity. They're not a nonprofit. They're doing this for a reason. They're doing this to further engage their viewership and potential viewership. But on the other side of that, you may make some friends, you know, and that's pretty cool. And you may, I mean, not to get all like super shrinky about this, but you may maybe feel less alone in something that you love. And that is huge. I agree. I think, you know, it might be harder for millennials to really understand that. Maybe not. Maybe I'm being judgmental about this or or not judgmental, but making assumptions. But, you know, you and I remember a time when it was harder to find people who had your particular interests because these kinds of social networks didn't exist. Sure. Yeah. At most, you were able to write into a letters page of a fanzine. You know, but other than that, yeah, so this kind of thing really does open up a world of community. If I was a 14 or 15 year old Dark Shadows fan, you know, watching the mail every month for my fanzine, for my newsletter, you know, and finding people who maybe I could be pen pals with, 
Exactly. Or if I was if I was really lucky, maybe meet them at a convention and, you know, and now that kind of thing exists 24 hours a day, you know, on the Internet. And that's such a great thing, you know, and anything that encourages people to be less mainstream. I'm all for that. Exactly. I definitely rather talk about why be good than Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> so exactly. We're gonna have our work cut out for us this summer. Yeah, and the great thing about it is that I'm not necessarily ready to commit to being like, yeah, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this because I want to feel it out too. But, you know, as long as I participate to some extent, I feel like I'm giving back to them. Exactly. You know, and everybody can do the same. You know, you do it at your own speed. Yeah. You know, I'm in the middle of planning for a film festival. So, again, I, it depends on my level of participation is going to depend on my amount of time. And we're all constrained by time limitations. But Sure. And, and I think that they understand and appreciate that. And that's why it's great that it's sort of self-directed and that you can devote however much time you you have or you feel like you want to. Yeah, as an educator, I am interested in this video annotation thing they keep talking about. So curious about that. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different components to it. Some will probably work great. Some will work less great. And, you know, they'll learn from this and, and hopefully, you know, use that knowledge in the next one. Indeed. Well, Will, thanks for joining me in the conversation and sharing your thoughts about this whole thing, as well as your anticipation for the class. It's happening next week, I believe. The actual coursework is available as of June 1st. And, of course, the films begin at 6 a.m. on Friday, June 5th with M from 1931, which is a great way to start. And just that day, it ranges from M at 6 a.m. to L.A. Confidential at 3.30 a.m. So, I mean, what a great, you know, way to kick it off. All I could think of is, you know, when these films were being made, if someone had told them something like this was going to happen, it would be such an alien concept, especially a film like Detour. You know, Ulmer was was, you know, this film <laughs> will be released and then it'll be forgotten forever. And I'm so glad that that's not the case. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you, sir. I'll see you in the classroom. All right. My pleasure. Take care. Have a good night.